You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. You know, one of the things I think people seek in life, and then one of the things that they really fear when they when they retire or leave a business is they they seek significance. I think we seek significance and we fear losing it. You know, and then you you uh you took that and ran with it and wrote wrote this book, A Life Rich with Significance, which uh I kind of honored to get to talk to you about this. It's the first time on the podcast being a guest on the podcast. How's that feel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh well I just I hope you don't grill me too hard. <laughs> is this weird? Um it's weird to be the one answering questions and not asking questions. Yeah. Those are two different skill sets. Did you did you study? Did you prepare? No. <laughs> I've studied my whole life. That's how I wrote a book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right, though. People do seek significance. Not always do we seek that significance consciously, um, but significance is something that we want because I meet people at varying levels or degrees of success in both life and in my career. I meet people who are extraordinarily financially successful and people who are struggling to be financially successful. Um, You know, my clients are financially successful, but I do meet people who seek out help who are not financially successful. And the people who are successful are not always fulfilled. They're not always fulfilled. And what I found is that Fulfillment, a key element of fulfillment is significant. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think a lot of people lose if they lose that purpose, that that purpose is tied to significant, you know, and, you know, super closely. And I have clients, I'm sure you do too, that regardless of the amount of wealth that they have, I don't think the amount of wealth leads to significance. So when I talk about... No, it doesn't. It's not a significant amount of money. That's right. Not what right. The I amount mean. is not significant. No. It is the purpose of it. it. It's the how it's applied. It's the purpose. It is the relationship that you have with the money. What is it doing for you? And what is it doing for others? If your wealth exists to create a more comfortable existence for yourself, it will not be significant. Might be good, you know. Yeah, that's that's better than having no money. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. better than that's better than having money that's not providing any comfort at all to anyone. Mm-hmm. But if that is the highest aim for your money, I challenge you to find a greater calling for your money, uh, a greater calling for your wealth. And if you do that, then you will be able to transform wealth to significant. Yeah, you know, I always talk to clients about looking at how do we find the greatest, highest purpose for their wealth? And a lot of people don't go through that self-exploration, don't have enough self-awareness to go through that exploration and say, what do I want this money to do when I'm done with it? And I, I know that I've asked that question to a lot of people to say, what do you want this money to do when you're done, you know, when you're done with it? And they will immediately begin to answer the question where, who they want it to go to, start naming beneficiaries. And won't talk about what they want it to do. And that, I think, is a key component to finding that significance, is figuring out 
what is it that you want this money to do? What? Let me ask you a question about about this. We, we were talking about significance, and and obviously a life rich with significance is the is the name of the book. What caused you to want to write that? Mm, I think that um, the answer that most authors provide is, well, I had something to say. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had something in me that was not being written, so writing it was a solution to the problem. And What wasn't being written? What do you mean? Well, it, meaning within me, there were oh, ideas oh, and see. thoughts and, and things that I wanted to say. And, and like anything I've ever written, I didn't necessarily know where it was going to end before I started writing it. Um, I, that's the experience when I write poetry. It's experience when I write a book. It's, hey, I, I have something to say. And I'm going to start writing. And then the more I write, the more I learn. Yeah. Um, writing is an exercise. To write is to think. And mm-hmm. so sometimes writing it is to figure out what it is that I was already thinking. Yeah. Well, the what made me write on this topic, maybe the question that you're asking, is that I noticed a a gap in the advice that's given broadly. And I think most people's experience when they seek out financial advice, whether it's free advice on YouTube or an advice from a highly compensated um, advisor with whom they have a personal relationship, is the way that that advice is positioned and the the reason that it's deemed as good is, oh, it's centered around your goals. This This advice will help you meet your goals. And Mm -hmm. if you look at the homepage of any wealth management company or investment company, any big uh, Fortune 500 company that that provides investment advice and financial planning, that's what they say they do is they provide advice to help you meet your goals. And as a professional, giving advice with the intended effect of helping people meet their goals, I started to notice that that was not the most important thing that I could do. And in fact, was the easiest part. The easiest part of giving financial advice is making it meet your, helping it meet sure. your goals. You, you want to buy a house. Here's how far away it is. Here's how much money you need. Here's yes. how much you need to save every month. Exactly. Here's, it's yeah. just a simple arithmetic it's a calculator. It's a question. calculator problem. Yeah. You want to retire at 50. You're making this much. You want to spend that much. There you go. Save X. Right. A very easy, actually. So it, it struck me as odd. Once I started giving people advice to help them meet their goals, and I did that for a long time, I realized... Well, why do we as an industry brag about the easiest part of our job? The hardest part of our job and the thing that is the most impactful is to help people transform their wealth to significance. Well, what does it mean to to do that? What does it mean to have significance with their wealth, significance with life, and significance with the relationship with the wealth? Well, to me, it means um, going beyond success. So everybody that I work for is successful. They're successful in some way, shape, or form, right? Um, Some are more successful than others, but you don't have an advisor to help manage your money if you haven't achieved success in life. Right, right. right. Um, And those people often reach the top of the mountain feeling unfulfilled. They often reach whatever it is, the finish line of whatever goal they set, whether it be buying that beach house or retiring at 50 or selling the business or et cetera, they reach it and don't feel the celebration and the, the fulfillment that they were hoping for. How is, how is that manifesting itself? I like when you notice that these people who have achieved levels of wealth that most people don't, 
how is that lack of significance manifesting itself in your observation? In one way, it's physical health. Um, people who don't have a life purpose uh, or their life, worse, their life purpose is suddenly thrown away because they thought that, for example, retiring was the ultimate goal. And they set a goal of retiring. They did it. They met the goal. And then now it's over. Now what do you do? Now what do you do with your time and what do you do with your money? So a deterioration of physical health, a fixation on the numbers with no attachment to any goals, uh, that will happen. Um, changing goals often, right? Because if if goals exist for the sake of having a goal, because I've been mm-hmm. told by my advisor that I need to have a goal, um, but it didn't really mean anything to me, right. it was just a placeholder, because I haven't identified what significant means, then that goals will right. change. We're going to buy an RV. No, wait, now it's going to be a boat. No, now it's a lake house. Yeah, yeah and it keeps so, moving. Yeah. It keeps moving all over the place. Um, so I think those those happen. A, a more, people become more inclined to allow their emotions to guide their behavior because they don't have something clear that they can grab onto, right? And this happens in, in business also if you don't have a clear vision. If you don't have a clear vision, You'll get sold as a business owner any new fancy tool that a salesman comes and tells you will help your bottom line. Right. Because you don't know what the vision is for the company. So because you don't know the vision, you haven't developed a clear strategy. And because you don't have a clear strategy, any growth tool could fit into your strategy. So so how do you differentiate then between someone who who thinks, let's say, retirement is their vision, right? I want I want to retire at, at 65 or 70, whatever it is. To, to them, that's their vision. How are you differentiating? Them? I would say that that's not your vision. That your the purpose of your life isn't to retire. The ultimate goal that you can achieve isn't retirement. The, the objective isn't to retire. Retiring is a part of a larger objective. It is a part of a larger purpose. It is a part of a larger calling. So your calling, whatever it may be, is bigger and broader and more ever present than retiring. Now, leaving your job that you are spending 50, 60 hours a week in may be a required component to help you fill out your purpose to its highest potential. But retiring isn't the vision, right? That's like if I said, uh, what's the vision of your co- your company, John? And you said, well, to sell it. Mm-hmm. Well, well, yeah, I mean, I guess- To make you, money. Yeah. Sure, yeah, you want to sell your company one day, but what- What's the vision for the company? Right. What do you want the company to do after you sell it? What do you want it to do in between now and when you sell it? Maybe you're, maybe selling it is a big component of it that you're factoring into every decision you make. Yeah, for sure, that's smart. But selling it isn't the vision. So when you have that discussion, people, what things are you talking about initially to get them to recenter on creating that vision or that true vision? Well, one of them is um, an old question that I learned from you and you learned from somebody and he probably learned it from somebody. And that's what's important about your money to you. Mm. What's important about your money to you? And when people think about the answer to that question, um, the first answer I always get is complete nonsense. And what's funny is that it is complete nonsense, but it's delivered with absolute confidence that it is the answer. Yes. Um, So... Usually the answer to that question, what's important about your money to you, sounds like to make more money. So... To not run out. Not run out. Yeah. Because you got to have money. Right. Duh. 
Or it's like it's almost as if me asking the question is is absurd because mm-hmm. because the purpose of money and the importance of my money is self-evident. Don't you know? Don't you know, Sean? The purpose of my money is self-evident. But when you think about it, when I think about it at the second level, I'll get a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. And some people then will start to say, well, I want to make more or I don't want to run out or I want to make sure I can retire. Okay, well, now we're closer. But what's important about that? Because if whether you said I want to make more or I don't want to run out or I want to make sure I can retire, whatever it is that you said that second time I asked you the question is unique than what other people might say, right? If you said, I want to make more, well, what made you say that instead of, I don't want to run out? What is it about making more that more would provide to you? And then eventually we start to get somewhere after about four questions or answers to the same question, something that represents a value that is important to you. Um, so having the values is a required component to finding the significance. That's where I would start is with the, with the values. Mm-hmm. So starting with that question and then moving to values. Value, the values that are unique to you in as precise ways we can articulate them. So it's not this vague sense of financial freedom it is more more precise. You know, it's having the ability to be myself. Okay, that's a way to articulate freedom that is different than what somebody else might say, which is uh, to do the things that I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. That's a different different version of freedom. And, and being as precise as I can with defining it is going to be a better guide for my actions in the future. But one step is values. I don't want to go too far down the values road because you asked me, how do we find significance? Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I can ask somebody, well, what, what do you believe your purpose in life is? And most people don't have an answer for that. Right. But you have to ha- have to be able to answer that what? because if you're running your business successfully and I ask you, what's the purpose of your company? You have an answer to that. Sure. Right. Okay. How do you not have one for your life? What types of answers are you usually getting to? Is somebody who doesn't have an answer initially, what are you finding once you develop that? Because I'm guessing you do. What are you seeing? So the most common answer is, I've never thought of that. Right. That's the most common first answer. I don't have, I don't know. And then uh, what happens with that answer is that people 99% of the time recognize that that is something that I ought to have. Yeah. (laughs) Right. right. I would think so. It's going to go, oh, wow, I've never thought of that. How do I not know what the purpose of my life is? The second most common answer is something that's vague, um, and I'm and it, I'm I say vague not to say bad, but it is not Im- very imprecise. It's imprecise, right? right? Okay. So, um, it honor God. That's a great great purpose, sure. But it's not very precise, right? right? That means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? Right. That is that could go any which way. Um, what do you mean by honor? First right. of all, you know, how does it guide our actions? How do I know that any given decision is in alignment with honoring God? Okay. Um, so one thing, a lot of times what we get to is something that resembles, uh, is, is expressed through someone's career. Uh, that's very often uh, the case. So I believe that my purpose is to help business owners make great financial choices. That's what my purpose is. 
other people may have a version of that type of answer that is expressed through what they've chosen to do with their their life and their career and their business. Mm. It isn't always. Um, sometimes it is purpose statements that are designed more around their relationship with their family or with their community. Okay. Have, have you found that those change? No. Okay. Not, and not as often as you would think. Yeah. Because... I mean, initially early, yes. Yeah. Right. But um, so maybe like what I picked today and then revisit it three months from now. Yeah, that that may change a little bit, not in a radical way, but in a more semantic way of okay, that, finding it. That right. wasn't the best. Those weren't the best words mm-hmm. to capture the idea I was aiming at. Right. Um, but usually after we go through an initial period, and this is very similar to setting a, a purpose for your own business when you first do that yeah it's probably not gonna be perfect right away but after we you know talk about it with the team and put it on the vision board and it's there it listed on the break room for a few months it kind of cements itself right uh and the reason it doesn't change is because once you do it clearly and you remind yourself of it uh and incorporate it into decisions that you make on both a a high level and and a in a daily basis then you embody that statement. You embody that aim. And once you've embodied that aim, there's almost no going back. Once you say, this, I've found my purpose, this is my purpose, I'm going to live out this purpose, well, it's really hard to change that. Mm-hmm. Because now, I'm, I'm, now I have a life of purpose. Right. I didn't have that before. Why would I want to change it? <laughs> I've, I've, I've found this purpose. I, it's been given to me and I've discovered it. Why wouldn't I want to pursue that for as long as I can, for as in as deep a way as I can? It's often not the case that I'm going to say, oh, my purpose in life is to help others make great financial decisions and then decide that it's to foster as many dogs as possible or something like completely different. So I I have found that once people recognize what that purpose is or what their values are, you know, getting to that sort of guiding North Star uh, that is that is guiding financial decision that I've I've never seen anybody or have anybody want to build or work on financial goals that are in conflict with those with those values or or purpose. But what happens more often than not is that it is difficult to find an outlet for some of those values. In other words, if they say, you know, my one of my values is education. It might be easy to find a, a an outlet for that. I'm going to fund my grandkids' education. But if they say one of my values is integrity or or something, sometimes some of these values or purposes, it is difficult to find an outlet through financial planning or or wealth management to live out that value. Are you are you finding that? Well, you- part of why that's happening is because they're choosing vague single word values. Mm-hmm. And so if you choose a vague single word value like freedom, that's a word that means different things to different people. Integrity means different things to different people. No, almost any word that you could say is a value that is of most importance to you is going to be a value that other people would say is generally good, right? Most sure. people are not going to say, worthy, right. Right? hardly anyone is going to say, you know what? One of my core values is, is hate. Hatred is one of my top values. Right. They're not, you're not going to pick something that's bad. Now, it may be something that just doesn't matter to others, but generally any value you could conceive is a good value. Okay. 
but it is easy to misinterpret single word values. So for example, nobody who even liars and cheaters will tell you integrity is good and they'll tell you they have it, Mm -hmm. but they're a liar and a cheater. Right. Okay. So how does that work? How does someone believe that integrity is good and they have it yet still lie and cheat? Well, it's because they simply justify their actions by reframing the definition of the word integrity. So if integrity as a value can be misinterpreted and defined differently by other people, then that means it can be misinterpreted and defined differently by you in the future. Future you is capable of misunderstanding what you today, when you selected your values, meant by integrity. Because when you select integrity as a value or any other value, when you decide upon your values, you are both finding those values and deciding those values. You are making you are making a discovery of yourself and a declaration of how you will live in the future. And the declaration of how you live in the future, that cannot be, you cannot allow yourself the opportunity to misinterpret that. Otherwise, the exercise was not in any way purposeful. Right. The purpose of the exercise is so that future decision-making can be framed upon this choice that you've made, right? Can be measured against this choice you made. So you have to be more precise with the values that you select. So for example, I have a family that I work for and one of their single word values, right, was was family. Well, we care about our family. Okay. And I said, well, what does that mean? And they kind of chuckle a little bit. Well, it's family. Like, obviously, you're supposed to care about your family. So right. you're like, bruh. Who doesn't? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, first of all, some people don't, which yeah. is always a surprise to everyone. Is It's a surprise to everyone that not the rest of the world doesn't necessarily care about your values. Right. right. Some people don't care about family. It's not a top value. For them, it is. Okay, but what does it mean? It means, you know, the family, the people that are around me, you know, being there for them. Okay, how do how can we frame this value in a way that inspires action, that calls you to do something, right? Because simply saying family doesn't call us to do anything. I want to phrase it in a way that's precise, tells you both what matters and what you should do. Okay, so they thought about it and they spent like two weeks thinking about this. They would talk at dinner. What is it? How do we, how do we act if family is important? If family is important to us, what do we do? And what they came up with was a phrase called love you more. And that is what they would tell each other. They'd say, oh, hey, I love you, honey. I love you, love you more. And what they mean by that is both, hey, I'm going to do, I'm going to do more than, than this other person without consideration for like what they're doing to me, not as a competition and not because I'm expecting to get something, but I want to do as much as I can. I want to do more. I want to love more. And also I'm going to love you more like into the future. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to love, love you more. And that was the, it shaped their mindset of how they interacted with each other, how they opened their home to each other, how they opened their hearts to each other, how they were emotionally vulnerable with each other they financially provide for each other love you more well that's way better and way more powerful than saying family is important and once they did that they both discovered something and declared something so um you originally asked you know people don't often find things that are in conflict with their values i yes i would say even if you do a bad job of discovering and declaring your own values you're often not going to set a goal that is consciously 
in conflict with a value of right. yours, right? Right. And the example that I would use is if you told me stability is very important, a financial goal of yours probably is not to do a sailboating trip around the world. Right. Probably not. Funded by Bitcoin. Yeah. Or right. whatever. Um, <laughs> so what often is the case is that people don't have goals that, um, that give them the opportunity to express a value that's important to them. And so by being more precise and creating these action phrases with your values, well, it inspires action. It, the phrase itself inspires action, which can help on a small level. You take steps on a daily basis if you're reflecting on these values consistently towards living them out more. And once you start living it out more on a daily basis, it's easier to imagine a larger goal that is in congruence with one of those values. So, so how are you looking at when you when you establish those those values and that that sense of purpose? You're finding what's important about someone's money to them. That you are calibrating those values and that sense of purpose high enough that it is creating intrinsic motivation. That it's not just words you're putting on a piece of paper, but it's something that's driving it. Yeah. So I, man, I would say one is like a gauge in the conversation. I can kind of tell if, if someone, because I, if I ask you, what is it, what is important about this value that you've chosen and you don't have a lot to say about it, then maybe we mm -hmm. haven't really found something that resonates. Usually people could talk all day long. Yeah. I say like, what I tell you about the love you more family, what's important about family? They talk forever about it. Yeah. They couldn't stop talking about it because they care. Um, if someone is giving me the answers that maybe they think I want to hear, then they don't have as good of, they're, they're not able to talk for as long about it. And that does happen is sometimes, and we all battle with this, is there's values that our family, our community and society implicitly or explicitly tell us we ought to care about. There's ways we ought to live. And sometimes people don't necessarily care about financial stability, but their dad did and their grandpa did and their great granddad did. They feel like they should. They feel like that's the right way to live. So, uh, yeah. stability. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, and they don't have any good answer. Um, but second, finding a way that, finding an aim that is high enough. One way to look at it would be there is no, it is not possible for you to create an aim bigger than that. And then two is that it in order for it to be the biggest aim possible, it has to be pointed outward from you. It can't be about you, right? It can't be something that I am doing for me. So, for example, go back to the retirement one. Well, my, my highest aim is retirement. Biggest thing I could do is retire. Well, it can't be the biggest thing that you can do because it's all about you, right? It can't be. Right. You're telling me that you can provide nothing to this world other than getting the hell out of your job mm -hmm. that getting out of the way is the most you could do. Right. That's that can't be it. Right. So it has to be focused externally. Success is focused internally. I'm going to climb this mountain. I'm going to run this marathon. I'm going to start this business. I, 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 I'm going to do these things. And we generally run the success journey as individuals. Not a, it's it's a it's not a team sport. It's hey, what am I going to do to be successful? S significance is focused outward. It's focused on what can I provide to my family, to my 
community, to the relationships that I either already have or don't yet have with others. What can I do for others? That is how one achieves significance. Have you, you told a story in the, in the, in the book that made me think of my own experience with my, with my grandfather. Um, when I was growing up, he was richest guy I knew. Uh, we would go out to his farm and, uh, run around and experience that. And I just thought, well, this guy's got, you know, got everything. Cause he had a, he had a boat and he had a tractor and he had a barn with hay in it. And he had, you know, some horses running around. Uh, oh, this is, this is it. Yeah. And when he passed away, I remember having this moment at one point years after he passed away. And it was, where did all that go? Because it's, he didn't have a really good estate plan. And it just dissipated. And it really hit home to me because I was a kid at the time. And it hit home to me that there was a lack of wealth significance. There there was a, you know, where did that money go? Not in a greedy way. Boy, I wish we had it. But I was just curious. Where did it, where did it go? And you told a story in, in the book about your experience. It kind of had a similar experience, I think. Yeah, my my grandpa was not the richest guy I knew, but he wasn't the poorest guy I knew. He was a regular guy from West Texas, and he looked like it every time you saw him. He wore a pearl snap shirt and had a big bushy mustache and rode his horses around. Um, and when he died, I inherited a rifle that made me completely change how I viewed him. My relationship with him, but also my relationship with money entirely. So he died um, in April, and uh, I went over to I go over to his wife's house the next day. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Hey, I have some things that I'd like to give to you." And I get over there, and she hands me this Remington twenty-five out six rifle in a uh, leather case, mm-hmm. and I take it. Like, wow, this is actually. Amazing. It's like a 50 year old rifle. You know, okay. he probably got this when he was my age and he's just kept it forever. Like, this is, I'm not, this is cool. I take it home. I don't think much about it. I don't really have an opportunity to use it. I put it under my bed. Seven months later, it's deer season. It's November. I'm in um, Heiko, Texas with his rifle hanging over my shoulder. Walking through the field early and more in the morning. You know, if you've ever deer hunted, you know, you have to wake up. At like two thirty in the morning, you know, just yeah, to just to cold. make sure yeah. you don't spook any deer right. that wake up that morning for their breakfast. So I'm tiptoeing through this field to kind of get set up. It's I'm freezing my butt off. Right, it's completely pitch black. Right, and all of a sudden, start smelling a fire. Oh no, what the hell is burning? You know, if there's a forest fire out here in the middle of the night, first of all, I hope it doesn't consume my truck, and second of all, I'm definitely not getting a deer, right? Well, I start looking around. I can't see any flames. I can't see any smoke. Even if there was some, I don't know if I'd be able to tell it's so dark out. And I look over my shoulder and there's, the smell gets immediately intense. And I realize what I was smelling was not a fire. It was his old cigarette smoke clinging to the leather strap of this rifle. And so I have a good laugh in my head by myself. I go, oh my gosh, you know, he's Grandpa's ruining my hunt, uh, even though he's not here. So I go over to my truck. I put the put the rifle in the back seat, 
I turn on Willie Nelson, which was his favorite artist. I drive over to the cemetery, which is like five miles from where I was hunting. And when I get over there, I drive up. Now, mind you, this is seven months after he's died. I park, I walk over to where he's buried. All I see is a smooth pile of dirt, not even a headstone. I call my mom up and I say, why the heck does my grandpa not have a headstone? And she's unfazed by my outrage. She says, well, I paid for the funeral. Somebody else can pay for the headstone. And in that moment, I realized that this smelly old gun that I've got is the, the last thing he had. He didn't have money for a headstone. He didn't have money for a funeral. There was no inheritance that anybody was going to get. There was no trust fund. There was no, no dollars. But worse than nobody inheriting any dollars is that there wasn't a vehicle other than the things that happened to be in his closet to transfer the values and the principles and what was deeply important about him to others. I'm thankful that I got the rifle. But other than it being a rifle and it being a deer hunting excuse, I don't even know why it was important to him or if it was important. And so when I had that experience, I realized we each of us have not only an opportunity to transfer the gift of our values to others, I think that we have the responsibility to transfer the gift of our values to others because that is the light... that we bring to the world. It's, it's a positive good to transfer the values that we, that we have that are unique to us, especially to our descendants. So when, when you have that discussion with people and it's, you know, let me explain it more of as a, as a process, I, I think engaging with somebody in a professional way about wealth management is more process, not just an event. It's intended to be, and necessarily should be significant in terms of its change in direction or where you're heading, right? It should set you on a different... You say that again, that knocking upstairs is kind of distracting. So when when someone engages with a financial advisor, the, the process rather than the event or discussion is necessarily designed to be transformative. In other words, to set that person's financial life on a different trajectory. And... That discussion you're having about how someone defines significance, uh, how they frame their values so that they can make decisions based on those are, are critical. How do you make sure that they are gauging them appropriately so that it is, it's driving them towards continued action? I guess there's a few, I'm going to do my best to answer this. You tell me if I'm, if I'm answering the question that you're asking. Okay. One way to tell if your aim is as big as it could be is how will I know if I'm done? How will I know if I've completed it? And if you can answer that, then it's not as big as it could be. If there's a finish line to your significance aim and your purpose, it's not as big as it could be, right? So if my purpose is to help entrepreneurs make great financial decisions, there's not an end Mm -hmm. to how much I could do that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not help 20 and right. then go, oh, well, now I'm going to the beach. Right. <laughs> right. It, it, it can't be completed. Right. And I can always do more and I can always go deeper. 
kind of like love you more. Well, it's not love you a little bit more. It's not love you more than you love me. It's not love you X amount. It's love you more. Well, more than yesterday. And it never ends. Mm-hmm. So it, it can't be finished. That's one one way. It, um, the second is that it has to be focused on others. Right? So your your purpose must be externally focused in order to be as significant as it can. And then the, the third answer to that is that... Um, some of that it's it's very unique to the individual and having a relationship with them can help uncover if they've landed on the right the right purpose um it'd be hard for me in the first five minutes of knowing someone to one know if they could they could push for more and two gain their trust enough to where i could challenge them to do that yeah i i think it's the next level of what we hear when, you know, so much when people talk about smart goals, right, you know, is, is those are definable by, by definition, they are, they are intended to be measurable within a achievable. And that's why they work. And that's why they work. Right. And, and so are you looking at this aspirational vision of significance, this, this motivating, uh, North star, and then breaking those things down into bite-sized pieces so people can work towards that directionally. So they say, okay, if I do X, that helps advance me towards this larger purpose. Yeah, I I wrote in my book in chapter three that your goals are not the ultimate aim. And that is a lot of of what I wrote about is what we've just talked about, which is that there's something bigger than your goals most people aren't aiming at what is bigger than their goals. They haven't defined the purpose for their goals. Um, but it doesn't mean the goals are bad. I'm not saying you shouldn't have goals. You absolutely should have goals. But in order to have goals, they need to be the right goals. They need to be the appropriate goals. They do need to be smart goals. Um, but these goals, you don't know if the goal, the goals are only there to measure your progress toward a higher aim. That's what the goals are for. And it's exactly like if you create a one-page uh, business plan. You create values for your company, you create a mission for your company, a purpose for your company, create a BHAG, and then okay. you start a, a big, huge, audacious goal, a goal that is maybe 30-plus years out in the distance that has a 50-50 chance of actually being completed. It's the biggest, highest aim biggest highest goal you could ever conceive of um for your business you set that you set that vision for where your company could go if it operated at its best and then you set goals okay what are the things that we have to do in order to live up to these values execute on this mission live up to this purpose move toward this behag these are the things that we've got to do maybe five years from now. These are the things we've got to do three years from now. These are the things we've got to do within one year. And then finally, this is what we've got to do this quarter. That's how we do it in a business. But when it comes to our personal life, we don't do it that way. We go, well, what are some goals? Uh, shoot, I don't know. I guess uh, retire one day. Yeah. And then we just say we're good. And and that's such a huge uh, misstep that that we've all been taught to make. So that's how is that's what goals are for is goals are not the end all be all they aren't the aim 
the goals are there to measure your progress toward the real aim. But if we can't know that even they are the right goals until we know what that real aim is. And a lot of times when I work with people, they have goals um, that they want to work towards. Then we set an aim and they realize that that goal is completely meaningless in the face of that aim. That it, that would be foolish of them to spend money on that. It would be foolish of them to spend time on that. In fact, they realize it's not even what they wanted. It was what their friends wanted or what their family wanted or what, if they could go back in time, their parents would have done if they had the money that they have now. If my mom and dad had the money that I have now, that's what mom and dad would have done. And that's what it really is. This is this is what my former self would have done. Yeah, this yeah. is what. Yeah, if I could have afforded this, you know, thirty years ago, this is what I would have done. Yeah, and, and that's what you know. Not to uh, pick on guys that buy sports cars, uh, but the common, um, common you know midlife crisis mm-hmm. is, is to buy a sports car, right? And why is that a stereotype? Well, because it happens a lot. Well, why does it happen a lot? Well, you know, I think a lot of th- not all the time. I'm not saying all the time. But a lot of times we go, oh, shit, I got money now. I got money now. What do, what do I, I don't even know what to do with this money. Well, and then we go back to, this is what I would have done when I was 18 right. if I had, you know, this type of money. As I would have bought this car, so I might as well do that. Right. You know, I'm not saying if you do that, that it's um, every guy that with a sports car is in midlife crisis. Obviously, I'm not saying that. But a lot of people, that's what happens, is they go, well, now I have the means, but I don't have the vision, so... I'll go back to what should my goal be? And a lot of times when I ask people, you know, hey, let's try to find a purpose. They ask me, well, what should it be? Oh, really? Yes. Oh, that's that is a very common question. How do you, how do you typically or, answer And that? that's the same question that people will ask with goals. So what goals do you have? What do well, most people say? What do yeah. most people say? <laughs> yeah. Right? Because, because people are afraid, deeply afraid of picking the wrong path. And that's something to be afraid of. It's, yeah. it, it, you should be scared of picking the wrong path. But the only way that you could pick the wrong path is to pick a path that does not give you the opportunity, even if you excelled on that journey, to fulfill your own potential. Mm-hmm. That's the only way you've picked the wrong path. Well, so so you talk about picking the the right path, and you, you talk about your decision lab process in, in the book. And, and I think picking the wrong path, a lot of times people aren't even on the right road, right? They, they don't know where they are. And, and I think that was one of your first steps that you, that you set. Um, talk a little bit about. Yeah. In the, in the decision lab, we, which is a process that we go through with our clients at Decidedly, we distill the decisions that you've got to make into five key decisions that you must make to transform wealth to significance. And those decisions are first, decide who you are. And that's mostly what we've been talking about so Mm -hmm, far, mm -hmm. is what's important to me? Who am I? What are my values? What are my principles? How do I operate and what motivates me? That may extend to your family, right? To your nuclear family. Right. um, If you have young children. The second is decide where you are. So if you were going to go hike a mountain and you look at a map at the trailhead, what's the most important place on that map? A little red arrow. That, little yeah. red arrow that says you're here. Yeah. That's the most important. Without that, the map is useless, even though you can see all the trails. Right. If you don't know where you are, you have no idea whether to go north, south, east, or west. Um, 
So deciding where you are, that is um, understanding your financials, understanding the tools that you have available, what paths are actually in front of you that you could walk down. The third is decide where you're going. So that is setting a clear aim. That's um, setting both foundational goals and aspirational goals. Uh, the way that I differentiate between the two or foundational are the ones that you'd say, well, I'm unwilling to make a sacrifice on this. You know, if I can't achieve this, then it's not worth doing any of this work we're doing. And then aspirational is the things that usually, hey, I, I they're more wishes than needs. Um, they're more wants than needs. But they are often things that we already are in category categories that we already are sacrificing. So everyone that's been successful in life has sacrificed something to get there. And that sacrifice comes in one of four areas, one or more of these four areas. It's either material possessions. So they, there were things that you wanted to buy, but you didn't buy experiences, things that you wanted to do, but you didn't do time that you did not get to spend with people that you care about and then philanthropy. So charitable giving that you did not participate in. So aspirational goals typically come in those four categories. The fourth decision that you've got to make, so decide who you are, decide where you are, decide where you're going, or is decide how you're going to get there. And that's where you start to build a plan. A lot of people try to start out their financial planning journey at stage four. Mm -hmm. They go, so, all right, what are we going to do? Yeah. Should I invest in this or that? Should I, how much should I save in this account? Um, that is the fourth decision is deciding upon a plan. And a lot of times the, the right choice is to simply have something that goes in that for, and make a decision in this fourth category. Mm -hmm. So, um, people spend a lot of time focused on having the perfect investment strategy or saving the exact right amount or having XYZ allocation of that stock. What is most helpful is to have something, is to decide upon something. If I decide that I'm going to have 70% of my portfolio in, in stocks, for example, well, at least I have decided. And then I'm not going to sit there with anxiety going, uh, should I have 20%? Right. Or should I go up to 100 right now because the market's down? What? You know, hey, no, I decided 70. There we go. Now I have the freedom from worry on, on second guessing this. Mm-hmm. The fifth and final decision is decide who matters. So if you do your job well in setting an aim of significance, then you are going to make a difference in the life of others. Well, who are those people? Who are the people that you want to impact and be significant to? Um, who do you want to carry on the legacy of your values when you're gone? doesn't have to be your children. A lot of people without kids say, well, I don't have kids, so I guess I don't have to care about that. Well, your money's going to be here when you're gone. You might as well care about the right. voice that, that it speaks with when you're not here. Um, so deciding who matters is the last component of that, and that in, encompassed in that decision is creating an estate plan, making sure your will aligns with what you actually want to have happen with your money, um, having family meetings, with children who ultimately inherit uh, large sums of money. Um, there's a lot that goes into each of these five decisions, but fundamentally those are the five things that you have to decide in order to transform wealth to significance. What would you say 
would be one decision for business owners? I would ask you the same question I ask. Yeah, I ask every guest. Um, my one decision tip for business owners is run your family like you run your business. And I give that advice assuming that you run your business well. Uh, because if you run your business poorly, running your family like a business is probably worse than what you're already doing. But almost everything, everything that works as far as advice for how to run a business well, it also works for how to run a family well. So like growing up um, in your house, we had family principles. We had the Smith family principles mm -hmm. and they were on our, in our rooms. Yeah. I, we, each yeah, we of had us, written down and all we had them on. written down yeah. in our bedrooms. Yeah. Right. Which is the same way you would do it in a, in a company, you put it on the desk. Yeah. Right. And say within these walls, we act this way. And we did that as a family and, and that seemed normal to me, but I realized hardly anyone does that. You know, it's so funny. We, yeah, I remember when we went through that exercise, uh, as a family and developed those values and, and so your mom and I, and, and that's, a, I want to stop you. Yeah. That's actually an amazing point because that's what you should do in your business, right? Is to yeah. decide upon those values with the team, not you know, as the CEO go, guys, these are the values that I've decided. These are my values that we're yeah. going to follow. Yeah. It, it was so funny because uh, your mom and I were lobbying for obey your parents as one of those values, and it didn't make the cut because <laughs> <laughs> none, none of y'all thought that was important. Uh, that's BS. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to be hamstrung by that. <laughs> It didn't make the cut. I was so disappointed. No, you got outvoted on that. Oh one. yeah, it was. It was not even. But not wasn't, even close. I mean, that was. That was. That is my favorite example. That I didn't even realize. I mean, well into adulthood, that how smart and wise that was, and that is exactly how you would run a business. Well, is not only should you have values, but they should be precise. Not only should they be precise, but you should. Create them collaboratively with your team. Okay, same in the family. Don't, if you go and tell your kids, these are the values. Integrity is important in this household. Mm -hmm. They don't even know what that means. Your six-year-old doesn't even know what that means. Right. So spell it out for them and talk with them. Let them feel like they picked it. Yeah. And then they're way more likely to live by it. And then not only that, but make sure you remind it, remind yourselves of them, recite it. Not just so your employees know it, but so you, the leader, know it. Post it on the walls so you can't escape it. Talk about it to the point that it's, it is exhausting to talk about. And everyone's rolling their eyes. Oh, yeah, the family values. You know, it's, it, that's interesting. I, I remember there was an initiative we were putting together in my business several years ago, and we thought it was fairly simple. And so I had my assistant uh, announce it. And then I noticed that people were doing it wrong. I said, just just announce that. How simple was it? It was a a code, a single letter codes following a meeting to indicate who was in the meeting and who was taking. That sounds very simple. It was simple. So it should so just you, be like initials. Yes. So if you were leading the meeting, it would say SS, uh, and Bob was going to be with you. It'd say SSWB. You know, okay. As a singer with Bob, meaning you were going to yeah. lead the meeting. All right. So it was just, it was a code based on initials on who was lead and who was follow in these meetings. I said, just announce that. It's pretty simple and just have people start putting it in. And, and it wasn't happening. 
And so she announced it again. And then it started to happen, but it was happening wrong. Right? I said, just announce it again. Uh, and so she announced it again. And it was still happening wrong. And it still wasn't happening with 100% success. And I said, let's just keep announcing it. And we're going to announce it every time we find a mistake. We're going to go through this whole presentation again. Yeah. And it got to be a joke because we had to do it probably a dozen times. It was that, it was super yeah. simple. But my assessment of how easily people were going to pick up my thoughts and not only understand my thoughts, my idea, but take action the way that I wanted them to act on these thoughts, I, I had totally misjudged <laughs> how that was going to go. And so it's, it is so true that when you're looking at guiding a family or, or having something that's going to make a change, have it in front of you. It's got to be repeated. You're going to have to go through and, and do it again. My guess is that you write those values down for people and talk about them every meeting. People have to be able to recite them because you have to be able to recall something if you're wanting it to make a difference in your life and your decision. In order for any decision that you make in the in step one of the decision lab, decide who you are, in order for anything there to matter and make a difference in your life, it has to live in your mind and your heart and your soul. It has to be something that you memorize. Mm -hmm. And not only memorize, live, breathe, embody. If it's not that, then it can't. It necessarily cannot guide your daily action. It cannot guide your daily behavior if it isn't always in your mind. doesn't mean you have to be thinking about it every second of every day, but you should be able to, to recite it verbatim when called upon. Right. And if you can't, then it's not doing anything for you. And so, yeah, you should remind yourself about it and remind your family, remind your children, remind your team what that is until the point that they roll their eyes and go, oh my gosh, the values again. Yes, I know the values is what they are. So, to the point where they're insulted that you're still asking. Yeah, I, I think if you don't have to that, that point, times, you haven't done it enough. If you, if you, if it isn't something, if people that, are still writing them down, you yes. you, you, uh, you haven't done it. Enough. Yeah, or sitting there going, uh, well, hold on, let me see if I can remember the acronym. So then that's not enough. Only the name of the book and where people can get it. Book is called "A Life Rich with Significance: Transforming Your Wealth to Meaningful Impact." It's on Amazon. Uh, you can search my name. You can search a life rich with significance. It'll come up. Um, number one bestseller in investing and um, behavioral finance. How, how was that? The experience being the guest rather than the host? Oh, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly Podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.